Welcome to Mid-Century Living, your weekly podcast about everything mid-century and how to bring the best of the mid-century to your everyday lives. Welcome to Mid-Century Living, the show where we talk all about the best of the mid-20th century and how to bring the vintage vibe to your everyday life. We're your hosts, Gonzalo. And Jackie. Thank you for joining us today. So before we get to today's topic, if you're enjoying learning about the mid-century, please subscribe, drop us a like, and leave a review in whichever platform you are listening to us on. It helps us get on listener lists. So Jackie, how was your week? My week was pretty good. Um, finalizing my Thanksgiving menu, getting excited about a trip to New York I have planned. Um, so once again, I'm in a planning stage of of my day-to-day instead of actually doing all the things I'm in the planning all the things so not much to Mm -hmm. report um but I'm busy (laughs) how about you busy is good um I am not quite in the planning or the pre-planning or getting ready for a trip but I will be going on a trip in a couple of weeks after Thanksgiving break uh I go on a annual trip to New Orleans the weekend after Thanksgiving um, to do some cruise ship decorating. I love that you do that. You should probably elaborate for the listeners because I think they'll think it's cool too. Um, so I am fortunate enough to work with a company for the holiday season uh, whose main job is to decorate cruise ships. Um, and that's what I go do. And we decorate for Christmas. I should I should say decorate for Christmas. So you like put up the big tree and put garland on the banisters and what do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we do. Big trees everywhere, lots of garland, uh, lots of wreaths, lots of bows. I leave the ship usually covered in glitter. <laughs> it is so hard to find Christmas decorations that don't have glitter on it. We have a zero tolerance policy for glitter and decor in our house, mostly because we're both really adverse to heavy cleaning um and glitter can't come out of anything we like it won't come out of the rugs it won't come out of the couch it won't come out of the anything and then there's like you're bringing glitter to the work and you're bringing glitter to your car and it's just like the worst thing ever and it's pretty but i don't want it i don't want it in my house i don't want it on my decor things and then they started putting glitter on halloween decorations Mm -hmm. and now no one's safe (laughs) and it's just um it's really hard for christmas to find non-glittery decorations so i hear you i guess yeah yeah i kind of think it's funny that you were just like spreading christmas cheer everywhere you went covered in glitter that day yes i love doing it i I love it's it's like a lot of walking and obviously decorating can sometimes be like you know moving a tree from place a to place b and you lift it and stuff but it's so much fun um and even though i get covered in glitter and stuff like that it's it's fun. Yeah, that's Plus, great. I love the look on people's faces whenever I'm decorating a tree and like people are boarding the ship and um, they're like, what What are you doing? And they go, oh, we know we decorate, we're decorating for Christmas. And they're always like, oh, would you like to come to my house next? <laughs> anyway, so that was my week. <laughs> <laughs> or that will be your week, but no. That's that will cool. be my week. <laughs> that is super cool. Thank you for telling us about that. I think other people will mm-hmm. think that's cool too because I think that's super cool. But anyway, I suppose we can just get on to today's topic, which is mid-century modern architecture. So if you 
haven't already, please go back and listen to episode nine, where we go over mid-century modern, the design concept, how it, like a, just a quick overview on mid-century modern graphic design, furniture, and architecture. And this will be the first of our episodes getting specific on one aspect of mid-century modern design. So today we're doing architecture. So take it away, Gonzalo. We'll let the architect lead the talk today. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I former architect, I guess. Although it's, it's, not, it's not the Marines. It's not like once an architect, always an architect. Oh, no, it's not like... <laughs> <laughs> The podcaster trained in architecture will lead today's there discussion. Uh, so mid-century modern itself was uh, about stripping away unnecessary ornament and really getting to the essence of a design gesture. Um, so mid-century architecture falls under mid-century modern. And we can't really talk about the MCM architecture without talking about the foundation, pun intended, <laughs> uh, that Frank Lloyd Wright set up. The key points of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright designs, such as site-specific designs, the consideration of open spaces and how one communicates between them, and the use of natural materials are all key components of mid-century modern. Um, so mid-century modern architecture is very heavily influenced by uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> we're also influenced by the Bauhaus School uh, which we talked about in our MCM episode, but this was a uh, school in Germany that focused on clean lines, simplicity, uh, basically all the traits that MCM is known for. Uh, but also there was a really cool exhibition in 1932 in the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Uh, it was called the International Style Exhibition. Um, and it's the first architectural exhibition uh, and it featured the work of Designers such as Neutra, Le Corbusier, and Walter Gropius, all of whom are key members in shaping MCM architecture. And it was directed by architect Philip Johnson, who um, is one of my favorite architects. Cool. So what are some of the characteristics of mid-century modern architecture? So in architecture, a lot of the characteristics are very close or similar to the MCM movement uh, characteristics. In architecture, style is all about functionality. Uh, so this feeling of function over form, where no piece is without a purpose, um, which kind of helps connect to today's world because since everything was about functionality, the pieces from this period are meant to last. So a lot of them are still around today. Um, just like with the furniture we discussed in our other episode, minimal ornamentation. Simplicity is another big part of MCM architecture. Uh, that is style without clutter or without superfluous ornamentation. Um, and I kind of alluded this in our other episode, but the previous design styles like Victorian um, or Craftsman <laughs> style, they all always had a lot of detail, like frivolous detail, Victorian, you know, especially if you go to like Queen Victoria um, style Victorian, there's a lot of like curly cues and a lot of little things everywhere that are very detailed. Stick Victorian kind of went away with that, but Stick Victorian's kind of towards the, the other end. 
of Victorian, you know, Edwardian architecture. Anybody here's ever seen things like Downton Abbey? You know, those those are very highly decorative uh, buildings. But MCM architecture does away with all that, and it is simple. It is uh, not cluttered, um, plain. Could be a word to say it, but I don't like it because it kind of has a negative connotation to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of plain, we're just going to go with simple. Um, it's a lot of mixing of materials. Uh, Post World War II, man-made materials um, are starting to get mixed with natural materials. So we start seeing the use of plastic, fiberglass, vinyl. Uh, mixed in with wood and glass and metal and stone um, throughout a residence, for example. Um, And bright accent colors against primary neutral tones are a thing as well. We start seeing um, the fusion of indoor and outdoor leading to color palettes rooted in earthy greens or fall oranges, muddy browns, which is kind of a nice mellow tone to a house. And uh, also clean lines, built-in furniture is a huge thing. Floor-to-ceiling windows. When I talk about a couple of houses in a little bit, uh, floor-to-ceiling windows are are a huge component of MCM architecture. Mm -hmm. So um, one known change, one really big known change between pre-World War II and post-World War II design in houses is the beginnings of an open plan design. So previously... Houses were kind of closed in, right? We had um, separate areas which existed for privacy and for practical use, um, specifically when heating a house. Um, in Britain, these elegant houses, these Edwardian houses, needed to be closed off to ward off drafts and cooling the space. Um, hmm. Post war houses, a little bit smaller, more compact, since families began to move away from hired live in servants which allows for opening up all these spaces to the house. So there's no need to hide the kitchen anymore. Um, and now it becomes part of this, the core of the house. Unrelated, uh, but pla- semi-related tangent. Um, I kind of wish that hiding the kitchen was still a thing because if you're not a super confident chef, there's nowhere to hide now if you're like, if the chicken's running away and you're like holding a sheet pan and there's flour everywhere, um, because everyone in the whole house can see the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> well, but. it's interesting that you say that because one of the characteristics of FCM architecture includes the kitchen and how the kitchen does not need to be closed off because there's no servants, but because entertaining guests changes and there's no shame in the hostess doing the work herself, we are able to move the kitchen and incorporate it into the living space. There's no need for shielding it from view. So it's funny that you say that in what you thought was an unrelated tangent, when in reality it's very well related. It is very related. Well, good to know. Yeah. When you put it um, that way, comparing it to before that it doesn't need to be hidden and now it's just part of the design, it's it sounds nice and idealist and concept. Yes. Anyway... Um, there's also a change with MCM architecture about what should be the center of the room, which you would think it's not a debate, but it's a highly debated topic because prior to MCM, the focus of the room was the fireplace. 
right? All the furniture is aligned to the fireplace. But with the mid-century and the emergence of the television, which you guys should also go listen to our sitcoms episode, um, and with the TV becoming popular, the debate shifts. Where should the focal point be? Do we want to make it the, the fireplace or do we want to make the TV the center point? Um, some people disagreed because the gray screen is unpleasant to look at and the cabinets are downright ugly, which is a quote. Um, <laughs> because, of course, mid-century TVs were the gray screens. And they're not the fancy flat screen TVs we got now. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, some of the MCM architects, uh, Marcel Brewer, who's a Hungarian, a uh, great influence in the USA, and he's one of the ones that... It, that exhibited a sh uh, show house at the MoMA exhibit. Uh, he's known for using timber-lined walls, uh, fireplace, and single sloping roofs. Um, Ludwig Mies van der Rohe, who's one of my favorite architects, uh, Le Corbusier, Philip Johnson, and then also uh, Buxmister Fuller, who we should definitely do an episode on the uh, Demaxian house uh, because it's from the 1940s. It's this amazing little all-in-one capsule of a house. And I've actually been in one of the two remaining uh, Damascian houses at the Henry Ford Village in uh, Dearborn, Michigan. Cool. Uh, so some of the houses that are from this time period are the Elrod House by John Lautner in Palm Springs, California, uh, which I know we've talked about before in the show. Uh, made famous by the 1971 James Bond movie Diamonds Are Forever. Um, also the Trans World Air Flight Center, TWA Terminal, which we've also discussed on the show before. Uh, this one is from 1962. And again, it's very flowy architecture, uh, very organic, looks like a bird in flight. Um, and if you are familiar with the work of people like, of architects like Saha Hadid, um, the TWA terminal, it looks like a precursor to the design style that would uh, be made popular by Sahad Hadid. Uh, one house that I love that I've always wanted to visit and never have uh, only because you have to make appointments to go look at it is the Farnsworth House, which is by Mies in Plano, Illinois. And this one was built for Edith Farnsworth, who is a doctor and a violinist and a patron of architecture. And it is really cool. It is a steel and glass house, which brings in that characteristic of uh, mixing the indoor and outdoor because this house connects the indoor and outdoor by the fact that the walls are all glass. Um, the home's core is the kitchen and two bathrooms. And then we have bedroom, office, dining area, and living room all flowing into each other in an open plan. Uh, with floor-to-ceiling glass doors surrounding everything, which opens up to this very extensive covered patio for extra living space. When you say and, the walls are all glass, do you mean including the interior walls? No, the core, which is the center of the of the structure of the building, is walls. Now it's the kitchen and the bathrooms. Everything else is open. Hmm. Um. But it's really cool and what's amazing, so it is painted white. So all you see is white with glass. And Illinois is up north, 
um, and it snows in Illinois. And when you see this building and the surrounding grounds in the summer, it's like grass and green and foliage. But in the winter, it's white with white and glass. Wow. And you would think that's bland, but it looks really cool. And it's all on, so I just Googled it to look at pictures. It's all elevated off the ground also. Yes, it is on a, a up on a platform of sorts. Is that for the snow, do you think, or just? I don't know. Man, that is a cool looking house. Yes. It's beautiful. And I drive, yeah, I drive past Plano whenever I go to Chicago, and I drive to Chicago, um, and I've always wanted to stop by, but it's never, we've never been able to stop because, uh, Usually we would drive to Chicago whenever we had my dog. And then what do you do with the dog? Can't bring him into the house. Um, and now that we no longer have Scooby, we tend to fly to Chicago. It is beautiful in the snow. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use a picture of it in the snow in our uh, companion Instagram posts. Awesome. Um, because it's really, really pretty. You're right. Um, so I do have one more building that I wanted to talk about. Now, this one is, uh, you know, we may get some emails because it's, strictly speaking, not mid-century modern. And by strictly speaking, I mean I am off by like 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, but it was designed by an MCM architect. Uh, and it was built in 1986. But it's also where I went to college. Because the building that I'm talking about is the University of Houston College of Architecture building, which was built in 1986. And it was designed by Philip Johnson uh, and Burgi Architects. <clears throat> and again, um, Philip Johnson was the architect behind the MoMA exhibit in 1932. Um, and he's really cool. He was this little short uh, architect with these like bold, bold, bold circular glasses. And no one can see what I'm doing in my face except for Jackie. Uh, <laughs> but think Edna Mode. Uh, from The Incredibles, uh, just circular glasses instead. Okay. Uh, so while not technically mid-century modern building, it does exhibit some of the mid-century uh, modern characteristics because it is a very simplified um, and somewhat inflated also version of the Claude Nicolas Lido House of Education. It is a series of overly simplified and non-detailed Doric columns. Um, if you are familiar with the Greek orders, Doric is the least of the decorative looks. Uh, but Philip Johnson took the, that style of column and kind of simplified it even more. Uh, these columns surround a four-story tall atrium. And also, the most notable feature is that above the building, on top of the roof, sits the atrium of columns. Um, so you can see from far away. And it kind of makes the, the College of Architecture um, one of, if not the most visible uh, building on the campus uh, from far away. Um, it also exhibits the characteristics of natural color palettes because its use of rose-colored St. Joe brick, a dark polished granite uh, water table, and then limestone it's very neutral in colors. So, anyway. Well, I think that that counts because it's a really good transition, actually, into the impact on present day because 
people are still using some of these techniques because they're so timeless. Yes. And what's really funny specifically about the College of Architecture is, well, first, how Philip Johnson allegedly pitched it to the university was he walked into the Board of Regents where they had like a model of this of the entrance, uh, sorry, of the campus um, with one of the entrance streets, which was UH18, which was a street that ran through the campus. And he came in with a grocery, like a, the paper brown bags from the grocery store. And he didn't say a word. He just kind of put it down on the table and stood back and then reached in, took out a model of the building and plopped it right in, on the center of the road and then stepped back and then reached into the bag and pulled out the columns to sit on top and put them on top of the model and then stepped back. <laughs> and that's how he pitched it. Um, but cool. also, yeah, but also there was a, it, it's an attempt to... Uh, make fun of the surrounding buildings, which are very 1970s um, and, might I say, ugly. Um, <laughs> but it's meant to poke fun at that when in reality, the color palette uh, and the style of the exterior kind of make it fit really well around those buildings. So, so yeah, all these features are timeless. Um, in architecture school, we often heard the phrase less is more, meaning keep things simple. Um, there's no need to make trouble for yourself with like frivolous nonsense. Uh, and MCM architecture is all about keeping things simple, keeping things functional. Um, there's beauty in function. I agree. And I think that most people do. Um, I think probably the reason why, um, MCM is still so popular is because everything is like a perfect, well-designed blank canvas for you to put your own spin on it with home decor. So um, I think that explains why it continues to be so popular because you can make it your own. It fits in in any time period. It works with its surrounding nature. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so uh, what's really cool. So like a lot of the concepts, that began, especially in residences for MCM architecture, like open floor plans and big windows looking into nature, outdoor living spaces where you're kind of meshing the indoor and outdoor are still things that are used today. Um, the original principle of using natural materials and integrating with landscape is being used today. It's evolved into this whole sustainable architecture uh, that encompasses most of our work today. Yes. And um, most of the original famous MCM houses are still loved and highly valued today for being historic homes and um, being works of art, pretty much. Um, a lot of them are still maintained and can be even used as vacation or event rentals or filming locations. Um, so my contribution to this topic is uh, I kind of wanted to elaborate on that because there are some very cool MCM examples that you can see in movies and television shows. Uh, we mentioned in our last episode that the Elrod house was used in a James Bond movie, but some other famous MCM houses in film are uh, Cameron's house and Ferris Bueller's Day Off, um, which is actually called the Rose House and Pavilion, which is a home north of Chicago that was designed mm -hmm. and built in 1953 by a protege of Mies van der Rohe. So that's pretty cool. 
um, the home that was uh, Jackie Treehorn's house in the Big Lebowski um, is also uh, an MCM home that is available for film locations. And the same house was also used as the home of Sam Rockwell's evil villain character in the 2000 Charlie's Angels movie. Um, that window that they pushed Drew Barrymore out of. I oh. think a lot of people remember that house, but mm-hmm. um, same house as in the Big Lebowski. Um, a recent example is basically the entire movie of Don't Worry, Darling. Say what you will about whether it was a good movie or not. It was really pretty, and it was filmed in and around real homes that are real MCM homes in Palm Springs. So most of the neighborhood stuff was filmed in Canyon View Estates, uh, which are all intact MCM homes that people still live in. And they had to basically uh, everyone set everyone up in a hotel and then clear everyone's driveway of non-period elements. And they just rethink, redressed the whole street to be the 1960s. Um, for the movie and Chris Pine's character's house is a big famous MCM house called the Kaufman house, which was built in 1945. Um, And then one last example, um, which was my favorite of all of these, I think probably is the Fox residence, which is in Chatsworth, California, which is a a really pretty house that the Mad Men episode, the jet set was filmed in. Um, That episode actually took place in Palm Springs, but this is not in Palm Springs. Um, but I guess it's cheaper, <laughs> but it's <probably laughs> famous because um, a lot of famous people used it basically. So Judy Garland got married there. Frank Sinatra leased it. Um, and then he also sublet it to Marilyn Monroe, who may or may wow. not have had some sort of visit with JFK in this house. The rumors are flying, but it's a big famous um, place that is available for rent for filming locations. The, um, Ali movie Dream Girls and California Cation as I've also filmed at this house. So interesting. Very cool stuff. Yes, very cool stuff. Uh well since Jackie told us about the Fox residence and it's used in Mad Men, I think we should go mad with our etiquette segment. How's <laughs> that for a transition? That is a transition for sure. <laughs> um so since we're talking about houses today, I thought it would be fun to use some housekeeping etiquette for today's etiquette segment. So um, this is from the Housewife's Handbook from 1953. Um, A quote, uh, basically this is just tips on etiquette for cleaning in like daily housewife handbook. Um, I just thought it would be relevant, you know, if you're keeping your house. So according to this handbook, cleaning is the removal of dirt from the paint, varnish, fabric, enamel, glass, metal, and other surfaces found in the home. Um, just in case you didn't know what cleaning was. Um, <laughs> but basically they're saying, they they said in this book that we should be doing these tasks daily. Sweeping walks and porches, dusting furniture and wood floors, brushing upholstered furniture, cleaning rugs, washing bathroom toilet fixtures and floor, and cleaning sinks and fittings and stove surfaces after each use. Wait, we're supposed to sweep and dust and brush and clean every day? Every day. I all of a sudden feel very, like, gross and unclean. I know. So that's the thing is, like, they say we should be. And maybe we should be. But do we? 
<laughs> okay, it, it, okay. In my, in all fairness, and I know I, I'm probably a lot of people do this. Um, you know, we live busy days, like busy lives. Like I'm out of the house, and then I work, and then when I come home, I use the kitchen and like my bedroom, and sometimes the living room if I'm gaming. Um, but like the dining room, like I don't sit and have dinner. So I've like, never brushed my couch. Like the the brushing upholstered furniture cracks me up because <laughs> it never would have occurred to me to brush my couch. <laughs> I actually have. I have. I used to have to do that fairly often because really? of the dogs. Oh yeah, yeah. That's not what I thought it meant. Like I wasn't thinking like removing hair from. I was thinking they meant like brushing it so all the fur. Or like so the upholstery oh, so on your like so that the nap all pointed in the same direction or something. Oh, that's I wonder if that's what that meant. Yeah, I assume that's what it meant. I didn't think they meant removing cat hair, uh, because that's normal maintenance. I just thought they meant like brushing the nap I guess in like, all one direction. But maybe uh, <laughs> maybe when I had carpet. Not. Yeah, I mean when I had carpet, I would always uh, like vacuum it so that it left the lines parallel to each other <laughs> well anyway but in 1953 this was household maintenance etiquette so what do we think i man i think that it's important to have household etiquette i do not agree that we need to clean rugs and brush our furniture and dust every shelf we have in our house every day because who's got the time right so i'm going to uh, man i'm gonna i'm gonna vote no yeah on I, the MCM's gonna, approval. I also vote no i think that some of this stuff could happen every day like cleaning the stove after each use which definitely oh yes 100 well, percent. yeah yes um but yeah i think a lot of the rest of this stuff could be once a week maintenance not once a day. Yeah. I think that's unrealistic. <laughs> Into yeah. um, fast-paced world. <laughs> yes. So we finally got another so, one. <laughs> yes, there we go, listeners. You heard it first here. Um, we say no. Um, and with that, it looks like we've landed the plane. Wouldn't you agree? I agree. Yes. Uh, so thank you guys for listening today. Uh, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at info.mcliving at gmail.com. You can send us comments, edits, and even feature show ideas. Also, please make sure you write a review for our podcast. It lets us know how we're doing, and it also helps us stand out in the world of podcasting. So with that, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Mid-Century Living. Please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave a review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at MCL Podcast. See you next Friday.